All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, introducing Bronco March Teach, uh, usually writing for Jacobin. This one is an exclusive for Acura Viewpoint. That's the American Committee on U.S.-Russian Affairs, I guess. You know, James Carden and all our friends over there. And man, this is such an awesome article. And I'm kind of mad at you, Bronco, because I got a couple hundred pages worth of notes that I'm working through. And then at the end was do another dive into the WikiLeaks and see what else is in there. And uh, you beat me to the punch. And so my 600 page book eventually is going to come out and everyone's going to think that all I did is just plagiarize you and Ted Snyder. Because <laughs> you do all this great work and I have to borrow some of it. Um, this is groundbreaking stuff. This is great stuff. You went back to the WikiLeaks and said, well, yet means yet is fun, but let's find out what else is in there. And you found a ton more uh, documents in the State Department cables of warnings from here, there, and everybody on every side about why America should not try to integrate Ukraine into the NATO alliance. So tell us the story, man. In fact, when did you even get started on this? What gave you the idea? Uh, I mean, I... I, I probably worked on this for for months um partly because you know i i have other work commitments uh that, that i have to do and this just took a lot of research um but also just because um honestly something strange has been happening with the wikileaks website that i don't really understand uh why it's happening but but the pages were constantly crashing i doubt there's anything nefarious going on but it, it made uh, for a very painstaking thing um i will say good news for you um there's a wealth of material in there uh, not just about nato expansion which is, of course is just one um you know a, a policy uh that was uh, a huge grievance of russian leadership and there's a whole heap of other stuff in there that kind of shows the in real time, the deteriorating relationship between the U.S. and Russia. Um, you know, I wanted to focus on NATO for this particular piece because, as I'm sure you know, uh, and probably a lot of your listeners know, there has been this kind of intellectual battle, tug of war, uh, let's say, over the causes of the of the war in Ukraine, and there's people. Um, like myself and, and 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 a lot of other people who have kind of followed this stuff for a while, who who say, look, I mean, it's not the only cause, but NATO expansion is a big part of of why we got to this war, and there's actually a substantial amount of evidence that shows that. And there's a lot of people who I think fall more on the hawkish side of the spectrum who have kind of said that basically the, the policy of NATO expansion is completely irrelevant. That's a mere pretext for the war. Um, and and really, the the real reason that's happening is because of this these imperial ambitions of, of Vladimir Putin, who simply wants to sort of restore the 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 old Soviet Union or the or the Russian Empire. And and you know what I basically show uh, in this uh, through you know I, I can't overstate how many cables there were. This is just a tiny taste um, in this four thousand word package that I've put here. Um, I, I show that you know over over just the years from. 
the early 2000s to about 2010, 2011, you have dozens of diplomatic cables um, where, you know, these are going to U.S. officials in the State Department. People are reading these um, where U.S. officials are being told by NATO allies like Germany, France and Italy and and, and Norway by uh, uh, analysts and experts, both in the U.S. and and in Russia, um, by liberal Russian figures, um, and also by, by Kremlin officials themselves, you know, not just people like Sergei Lavrov, the, the foreign affairs minister who's, who's still in that post now, um, but, you know, low, lower down officials in, in the foreign ministry, um, officials in the, in, the, in the Russian parliament, and of course, Putin himself too, all of whom are saying, if the U.S. continues to to push for NATO expansion, which which you know was a very inflammatory thing even in the 90s under under the pro Western president like Yeltsin, if they keep pushing for it, and if they particularly push for it into Georgia and and worst of all Ukraine, it will lead to a variety of terrible outcomes that we've basically seen over the last nine years, and that includes an an inflammation of Russian nationalism and militarism. Uh, a, a less cooperative Russia, uh, a, a, a instability and, and even civil conflict in Ukraine itself. And finally, you know, some sort of drastic military step that Russia will take to sort of enforce this red line if it continues to be ignored. And unfortunately, um, as, as we've seen, uh, right up until the, the invasion, the Biden administration continued to push for this policy um, despite these copious warnings. And, and this is the, uh, the reality that we're living in now. Yeah. You know, in my uh, last book, Zalmay Khalilzad comes up over and over and over again from recommending the Ayatollah in 79 all the way through the peace deal with the Taliban at the end. And the the, uh, Zalmay Khalilzad of this book is Fiona Hill. She just pops up over and over and over again throughout. And I like the way you mentioned her at the beginning here that she says that anyone who tries, especially any American who tries to explain this side of the story at all, is the victim of a Russian information war and psychological operation, which, uh oh, boy, they got you, Bronco, there. Um, that's pretty <laughs> much not falsifiable and, and you're screwed, except that Fiona Hill gave this same advice over and over and over again. There's even a New York Times weekend magazine profile of her where it begins with her telling W. Bush, you better not do this before Bucharest. And Dick Cheney chewing her out and George Bush essentially, oh, it's funny, the anecdote is, she says, listen, the Russians' objections, X, Y, Z, and that's why the Germans and the French don't want to do it. And then Junior changes the subject to the Germans and the French and goes, well, I like a good diplomatic challenge. I'll just figure it out. And in other words, just dismissing the concerns about the Russians' point of view in it at all. And she's done this. I mean, I got her over and over again. She goes, oh, yeah, no, I tried to warn him. And the CIA tried to warn him, too. We all tried to warn him. That's her in 2008 and ever since telling the story of 2008. But now if you quote her telling her own story, you're the victim of a Russian psyop. So what does that mean? She's FSB? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, the, the, one of the, the, the things, this is a really great quote that, that the crystal ball of breaking point, she, she covered this um, as well earlier this week. And, and what she said was, you know, basically this whole war and the discourse around it has been like one massive experiment in gaslighting, you know, in the sense that we are being told that when we look at the very 
copiously documented record about this, um, where it has been U.S. officials and former U.S. officials, former politicians, former diplomats, experts, so on and so forth, who have been warning for, for since the beginning, since before um, this policy was even even you know enacted in 1997, um, that that we would end up in the situation that we're in now. We're being told that that we're you know crazy or yeah, as you say, you know Kremlin uh, agents for for pointing out what has been said in the mainstream press and mainstream discourse for for decades. And I think one of the important takeaways uh, of of this piece that I've written that I, I think people should consider. Is that I just don't think it's it's credible if it ever was. But with with this list of of just copious warnings, it is not credible remotely to say anymore that that this is just mere eleventh hour Kremlin propaganda. They just made this up suddenly, um, just as the invasion started. And the only reason that people think this is because it's it's you know what the Russians want them to think. The reality is that it's U.S. officials and it's NATO allies. And it's people opposed to Putin, you know, liberal Russian officials who have been saying this stuff for years. And, you know, even Gorbachev, he doesn't pop up in this piece, but I wrote a piece for Current Affairs uh, after Gorbachev died. And, and you know, he made the exact same warnings for, for uh, 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 well, you know, when NATO expansion was beginning and then throughout. He was saying that this is a bad policy, you're going to humiliate Russia, and that's going to lead to you know, a worse domestic uh, situation in Russia, a worse domestic climate, and it's ultimately going to lead to, to conflict between the two. So, you know, that for me, I mean, I, I, maybe we can talk about this a little more, but for me, another takeaway here is, is what does this mean? What relevance does it have for U.S. policy right now towards Taiwan and China, where I think we are kind of, we're doing the same thing um, that, that, that U.S. officials have been doing um, with Russia and Ukraine with, with possibly the same disastrous consequences. Yep. Totally looks like it. And yeah, it's funny, you know, it's still the minority report somehow in America that no, our government are the bad guys, even though you and I know it, you know, from the sheriff's department to the national police, the IRS and the ATF and the FBI and the CIA and the Federal Reserve system that bails out all the bankers and prints all the money and all the every bit of our government is the worst part of our society in every way. Somehow they deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their policy in Eastern Europe, even after 20 years of completely destroying the Middle East and killing 2 million people and having absolutely nothing to show for it whatsoever. But somehow still they're on the side of the angels or they just wouldn't be doing it. And I'm not sure if that really is what the American people believe anymore, but it's certainly still the dominant narrative on TV. And that's what seems to reign um, you know, as, as you're talking about the atmosphere here, oh, you're, these are Putin talking points and all that. Still, it is. Bill Crystal's view is dominant in American political culture somehow. And, um, and yet, as you, you know, lay out here, it's all their own words indicting them. If only there was anything like an open discussion, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that has to take place. We have to be able to talk about these things and debate these things and not, you know, have debate shut down with with this kind of, you know, hacky and, and frankly disgraceful accusatory language, you know, where we where everything that's inconvenient gets, you know, um, accused of being propaganda or, you know, having some sort of treasonous motive. Um, that That is a tactic to shut down debate. And, uh, you know, uh, this happened after September 11. 
And what happened was that for years, um, and, and even now, still, the United States um, pursued the exact policies that helped contribute to, to that crime uh, that was that was done against the, the American people and that fed more anti-American resentment, more anti-American terrorism. We were basically throwing fuel into the fire. Um, and it was because for a long time we were not able to have this this you know rational debate and discussion about what was it that had driven uh, uh, those people to to fly those planes into those buildings and to do everything else that that terrorists had done over the, over the years. And you know to some extent, I mean, what happened was was horrific. The the, the result of that, you know, Iraq War, Afghanistan, uh, drone bombings, um, but. It at least did not come with the threat of nuclear annihilation and and the unraveling of civilization, um, because of course terrorists are vastly uh, uh, overpowered by the United States military. In this case, you know, I, we we don't have the you know let's say luxury of the time to sort of wait until domestic political. Uh, climates in, in the West change enough that we can, you know, feel safe to to talk about this stuff. I think we really have to to treat this urgently and talk about it now, yeah. because uh, as we speak, you know, that I know that Biden has said that he wants to keep the U.S. out of World War Three, and I, I have no doubt that's his intention. But as we all know through history, the intentions of leaders uh, don't necessarily matter once you end up in this in a spiral of escalation. That's kind of what the U.S. and, and Russia are in now. Um, you know, there, there was just a report uh, recently that the the Biden administration is actually possibly considering letting Ukraine strike Crimea, um, which a lot of experts have talked about could be a trigger for some sort of nuclear escalation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, I think it's really important that that you know people who have have the, the the you know courage of their convictions who have a moral conscience who, who are worried about what these these escalating us russian tensions uh, could mean for the entire world let alone you know people in the united states um that they you know take this stuff seriously and, and talk to people about you know what is it what could have been done differently over these decades in u.s policy to 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 take us on a different path than the one that we ended up on and if we don't talk about it well, you know, I, I really don't want to think about what might happen. Mm. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen. All of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets. If you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts and Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, they're there for you too. Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. Well, you know, and they say, well, geez, uh, 
you know, whatever attacks have gone on, uh, they haven't escalated. They haven't nuked us so far. This is the new thinking approach, they say <laughs> in the newspapers, that, geez, maybe we could push our luck. But when they blew up the Kerch Bridge, that was when the uh, Russians started all their cruise missile attacks on civilian infrastructure in the country, got their revenge by knocking out the power in the winter. Oh, but that's that's just Ukrainians. Things. You know, that, they're the ones right. in the firing line. They're the ones who are going to have to suffer the consequences, not not us in the West. So, so it doesn't matter, right? That's, I mean, that's that seems to be exactly the point of view they're expressing. Yeah. And look, on China, especially for people who lean right, like I get it. It's a big red flag and all that stuff. But even if you believe their threat to Taiwan, I guess they could lay siege to Taiwan and and retake it somehow, you know, at least coercively kind of force them to surrender or some kind of horrible thing. But so what? Taiwan's been part of China since the 1600s. That's not the same thing as saying, oh, they're coming to Japan next and South Korea and then California. And what are we ever going to do? They're no threat to us at all. And you know, I'm glad that you brought it up as kind of a parallel to the Ukraine situation, because that's exactly what it is. It's America arming them up and saying, now let's you and him fight. And we may or may not, you know, engage and participate in the war to whatever degree. Although the problem is, you know, the Chinese, they have to bite off a lot more to chew there when it comes to Taiwan, because it's an island, which I guess it makes it easier because they could just kind of lay siege to the thing but it would make it a hell of a lot harder to invade compared to rolling right into Ukraine. But it, it's also true that all the U.S. Navy war games say that our ships end up at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean and we lose that war because it's 7,000 miles, uh, you know, east or west or whichever direction from here, whichever you go, it's about 7,000 miles, I don't know, eight, nine. Um, and so, you know, there's just no way we can win a war out there. It's just, it's, it's insane to think that we would pick that fight, but it's almost like, you know, we would be better off if the skull and bones ran everything or something, because then someone's <laughs> in charge. It seems like no one's in charge. It's just, you have the arms manufacturers and the different departments and the agencies who have their own bread that needs buttering. And then the whole thing is just, as my friend Adam says, it's the flea wagging the dog, but you know, the yeah. dog's asleep. <laughs> this is nobody even driving at all. And they could. They could get us in a nuclear war in in um, in Ukraine, you know, with Russia or uh, over Taiwan with China this week mm. at the way that they're going, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I would stress to people because, you know, unfortunately in the, in the kind of bifurcated uh, political uh, landscape of, of the United States, you have, you know, on the on the – Liberal side, I think people are less uh, have less appetite to, to go to war with China, um, but they they have taken on this really hawkish, almost you know neo Cold War uh, uh, mindset that that they want to be super aggressive towards Russia. And then on, you know on the on the right on the Republican side among conservatives, it's the opposite. You know the, the people have less appetite to go to war with Russia, um, but they want to basically have the exact policies that are crying um, when it comes to Russia and Ukraine aimed uh, at China and Taiwan. And, and the key thing here is both of those conflicts, seeking conflicts with both of those powers are going to be equally destructive. And with China, possibly even more. I mean, we've seen the economic um, devastation globally um, that, that has resulted from, you know, the war uh, with Russia, you know, which, which at the time at first people said, oh, you know, Russia is just a... Um, 
it's just a, it's a gas station, basically. It's one big gas station. It doesn't matter to the global economy. Well, it turns out when the economy runs on uh, a fuel like gasoline, actually, it does matter quite a bit. And it does matter when, when the country is a, you know, a, a commodities giant that, that exports a whole bunch of really important goods. Um, now, China is the, the largest trading partner of the most countries in the world. Um, what, what kind of um, impact do we think that a war with, with a country of that size, of that economic importance, eclipsing even Russia, is going to have, um, and, and also a nuclear power country? Um, you know, one thing I would stress to people who genuinely, you know, their, their top priority is the safety of, of, of Ukrainians and Taiwanese people. And I think there are a lot of genuine people who, who really, that that is, that is their... Their, their main concern in this whole thing. And that's totally fair. But if if that is your concern, the, the thing that you should be aiming for is a policy, pushing for a policy that is going to make war against those countries least likely. Unfortunately, it's too late for Ukraine, um, but it's not too late for, for Taiwan. Uh, and, and the fact is similar to Ukraine, uh, if the US continues to kind of water down the the one china policy or sort of hedge its commitment to that policy if it continues to to pile uh, weapons in there um it, it could lead the chinese to to similar to russia to decide to invade you know lyle goldstein a, a former professor at the u.s naval war college he, he i spoke to him last year sometime and you know he made the point that that you know the chinese are are looking at what's happening, what the U.S. is doing, and they're saying, you know, and they're making a calculation in their head, you know, is it is it worth invading now? Maybe um, when the cost of of a war could be far less than waiting um, until you know Taiwan is much more militarized, and then the U.S. finally you know says we're completely giving up on the one China policy and we're supporting Taiwanese independence, at which point a war could be way 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 more devastating. Um, you know, I'm not saying that they they've made a decision on that, but that is the kind of calculus that they are going through. And and we do not want to uh, influence their calculus in a way that leads them to do something rash as, as and, and, and destructive as Putin did uh, in Ukraine. Um, just one more thing, you know, if people are unconvinced by that, there is actually a piece um, uh, at the Journal of Military and Strategic Studies by Jeffrey Roberts. He's a, he's a professor of history at the University College of Cork. And um, it, it, the piece is called Now or Never. Uh, it's about it's about um, the decision making to to go to war in Ukraine, and he I think very uh, convincingly lays out based on public statements and and what we know that basically Putin's reasoning was, and you, this is not you don't have to agree with this reasoning, but this was his thinking was it, it's better to go to war now again and and stop Ukraine from being you know added into NATO and becoming more militarized and more interoperable. With NATO than to do it later uh, when we're going to suffer really, really um, uh, terrible, uh, you know, uh, uh, possibly defeat, but but certainly, you know, uh, uh, a military cost for doing that. Again, you don't have to agree with this reasoning, but that that is the calculus that he was using. And it, I, I suspect there's a similar calculus going on um, with Chinese leadership regarding Taiwan. Yep. Um, well, you know, uh, Michelle Flournoy says that Oh, you know, from West exec advisors, author of The Great Failed Surge of Afghanistan. She says, listen, if the Chinese can sink all our boats, we just need to build more B-1 bombers. 
Anyway, and who's, that wasn't who's, a question. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just and who? Well, no. And who's yes. who's in those boats? I mean, the idea. Oh, it's just it's just a few boats. I mean, there there are human beings in there. They're, they're oh, American thousands of them. People yeah. operate operating yeah. those boats. Oh I no, mean, she's saying that's why we'll just keep them safe at Pearl Harbor, and um, and we'll just oh, uh, fly our bombers out there and just we'll sink just their the navy that planes, way. Yeah. We'll have the people in the planes die instead. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, and look, the Chinese only have like 300 H bombs, <laughs> and we have way more than that. And by the way, as long as we're, I'm not interviewing you about the documents that you uncovered here. I saw a clip this morning. A guy tweeted to Dave DeCamp this clip of Wesley Clark from, I guess, last spring, saying, "We can't be deterred by nuclear weapons. That's letting the terrorists win, essentially." You know. <sighs> um, and he says, he says, we can't allow ourselves to be self-deterred, but we're not talking about being self-deterred. We're talking about being deterred by them. But then he says, but don't worry, we have a nuclear deterrent, so they're not going to do anything to us. Well, but you just explain why their deterrent doesn't work on you. And that's Wesley Clark, the guy that almost got us into World War III in 1999 when he ordered the Brits to take the Pristina airport and they said no. I mean, I, I think people need to think about how uh, how extreme this is, you know, compared to the Cold War. We think of the Cold War as this, as this uniquely dangerous period where the the superpowers were on the edge, on the, on the precipice of, of nuclear uh, annihilation, you know, constantly. Um, and in reality, I mean, certainly Cuba, the Cuban Missile Crisis, that happened. But after that, there was a lot of effort made. Um, you know, you might say to self-deter uh, from from both nations, to to avoid this kind of thing from happening again. There was a lot of care taken to to avoid situations that could lead to uh, both countries, you know, ending up in a spiral of escalation. And and now we completely th those kinds of policies, that kind of approach, is being uh, uh, smeared or dismissed as as yeah uh, appeasement or weakness and so on and so forth. It's it's much worse than what was going on during the Cold War. Um, paradoxically, you know, I mean, Eisenhower, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who I don't think anyone other than the John Birch Society would accuse of being some sort of communist sympathizer uh, or being friendly to the Soviet Union. Um, when when the Soviet Union invaded Hungary in in 1956. A, a terrible thing, no doubt. There was a lot of pressure for for him to do something, um, you know, because there was there was a lot of uh, killing going on. There was a lot of repression, you know. There was a, an, an independence movement that was crushed, um, but he, I think, made the the terrible but wise decision ultimately um, to keep the United States up because he understood that if the U.S. got involved, even to the point of of supplying arms, there was a chance that things could just ratchet up and get out of control. And you could end up in World War Three, if not something, you know, much more destructive than that. Uh, I, I think generally we think of Eisenhower as, you know, was he perfect? No, but but you know, a, a guy with fairly good head on his shoulders. Um, now we consider his decision making then, you know, some sort of uh, treachery or or, or weakness. Um, and this is a guy who led, you know, the Allies in, in World War Two. Munich. So that's how crazy things have gotten. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, in defense of the Birchers, they figured out that actually the communists, like Eisenhower, were agents of the capitalist conspiracy all along. So got to give them credit for that. Um, <laughs> but listen, I'm sorry we're out of time because I really do want to ask you about all these things, but I guess everyone's just going to have to go read it. Yeah, um, check it out on, on Akura on usrussiaaccord.com. 
Um, and and by the way, US Russia Accord is is a great resource in general for a lot of stuff about this war and just just general US relations. Uh, you know, I think it's I think people should really make it one of their regular reads if they're interested in this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And they got a great email list. They'll keep you up to date every morning too. And that's our friend James Carden and all those guys over there. So listen, this is such great work, and I hope you don't mind that all of your footnotes are going. I already have a, a giant block quote of you with all of your links made into footnotes in the book already from working late last night, and uh, I'm going to be borrowing a few more of these. But uh, great work as always, dude. I appreciate that. No, please uh, spread spread the knowledge as much as possible. That's, that's the, the point of that piece. I think the deal is if I plagiarize a lot of different people, then it's just research. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's how it works, yeah. yeah. I think that, that'll hold up in a court of yeah. law. All right. Yeah. Well, don't take it personal when I borrow so much of your work there. But you are I give you credit. I don't just steal. I cite. So, uh, Thank you, Bronco. Really appreciate you, bud. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com. Antiwar.com. ScottHorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.